Well, good morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Altazan, and today we've got Mr. Josh Wilson, the automatic transmission guru from AGCO in the studio with us. That's right. Good morning, everybody. There you go. And, of course, usually Brian Terry does the show, but Brian's off. I think he and Kelly had some little plans. I don't know where they took off to, but uh, <laughs> we'll give them a day off every now yeah, and then. every once in a while. Every now and then, we'll throw them a Saturday. <laughs> there you go. Hey, so if you happen to have a question about your automatic transmission, we're not limited to that, but this would be an absolutely great day to call in because I've got a basic working knowledge just being around Josh for all these years. I've kind of, a few things have rubbed off on me, but I certainly don't have the understanding that you do. Growing up in the business, you mm-hmm. know, just pretty much been doing this since school you yeah know. to 10 years old <laughs> that, that's right you know, well, summer and you know vacation everything that's a lot of folks don't realize and i'm not gonna give away your age i know that's not <laughs> but for a person of your years you have a lot more experience than what you might think because right. you and your dad your dad started the shop and you were out there washing parts when you were 10 years old that's right you used to have to climb on the rebuild bench <laughs> uh, you know put put a bucket down and climb up there but take them apart you know get parts ready for them mm-hmm. uh, mostly mopping the floors but let me mm-hmm. get into some of that stuff oh yeah so, and that's kind been, of a it's a good good experience for people who have grown up in a business like that because you learn at a very young age all the things that you got to know for instance just Simple little things like the difference in a three-eighths inch ratchet and a half-inch ratchet or the difference in a slotted screwdriver or reading prints or Phillips or whatever. By the time you're 30 years old and you decide, hey, I want to be an auto tech and you don't know any of that stuff, it's just the learning curve is so, so, so stiff. The learning curve and also the acquiring the knowledge amount, that the knowledge and the tools. I right. Mean, for somebody to get into this now, mm-hmm. the investment that they would have to make is is pretty astronomical yeah it really really would be and it's i guess that's where the guys who grew up with it sort of like myself i was working on hot rods and stuff and hanging out in the corner with the big guys washing parts for myself when i was 10 years old and right. that's just the way right you grow up and you get, you start with a couple of wrench sets and mm-hmm. you just keep adding to it but to have to jump all in at once yeah yeah you might man. have to dump a hundred grand in tooling just to you do the job that's right <laughs> hey we're gonna be talking about that and a whole lot more today we're gonna first take our phone call we got lance on the line good morning lance how are you doing doing great sir yeah i've got a 1958 chevrolet bel air with okay. a 283 in it mm-hmm. it has a two-barrel rochester carburetor yes sir and what had happened is the throttle plate you know where the accelerator attached to the throttle had gotten broken loose i guess from over the years so yes, i ordered uh, a new one or okay. reman rebuilt mm-hmm and it, the new carburetor didn't have the vacuum advance to go back to the distributor okay. on it. So I just took the bottom part of it off, you know, where the throttle plate is, put it on, mounted it on the engine. And now when I go to start it, it'll run fine at idle. But when you put the gas on it, it mm-hmm. stumbles or just kind of dies. Yeah, you know, probably you know ignition timing's off. See, what you got to remember, those vacuum advance ports work two different ways, depending on how the car was set up. Some of them were ported to engine vacuum, but a lot more of them were ported to Venturi vacuum. Now, those two will act exactly the opposite. Engine vacuum will be high at an idle, but will diminish as soon as you open the throttle. Venturi vacuum will be very low or zero at an idle, but it will increase as the speed of the engine increases, which keeps advancing your timing. So if you got it hooked into a vacuum port, what it's going to do is go kick the vac- the timing all the way over. 
Now, you retard it back to get it where it goes. But when you accelerate, it's going to drop to zero, and your time is going to drop off, which is going to give you that big bog. Okay. So you, right. you're going to have to find a Venturi port if there is one on the carburetor. If not, you're going to be kind of between a rock and a hard place. You could try modifying the distributor for what they call centrifugal advance. It's got centrifugal advance anyway, but there are ways you can increase it. There are different weights and different springs you can put on it where you can get more centrifugal advance faster, and that can do the same thing, although it's better to have both of them. But you're going to have to try to find a port that goes into the Venturi rather than into the vacuum side of the carburetor. And that carburetor you've got may or may not have that. Now, I'm not not 100% sure that you couldn't make one. I mean, basically, you would have to drill a hole right into the Venturi where it narrows to its narrowest point. And put, uh-huh. a little, and put a little small tube in there. And what happens is that as the air rushes past the Venturi, it creates a vacuum on that port. And the more air okay. goes through, the higher the vacuum, so the more advance you have, which is what you need. Okay. Would it be, I mean, I guess when I ordered it, you know, when you order it on online, you look at the pictures, and mm-hmm. it, it looks very similar, but the one they sent me didn't have that port. Right. Is there any way to guarantee when you order them that you get that? Port, you would just have to specify. Just a crapshoot. Well, you just have to specify to them that you need the one with the vacuum advanced Venturi port. And I mean, because to the, me that the would cars, be easier. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. The cars came multiple ways in those days, and I'm kind of stretching my memory banks out. I used to work on a lot of those, but it's been years. But I know there were carburetors that had them, and there were carburetors that didn't have them. And I'm not sure why uh, they may have picked up vacuum some other different kind of way. But, yeah, if you can find one, the port will generally be higher up on the carburetor, although not necessarily. Sometimes it ducked it from there but routed it through the carburetor and even came out on the base. But it was still, what you could tell is that a va- at an idle, you could put your finger on that port and there was no vacuum. And as you okay. increased as you increased engine speed, you could feel it would, it would grow more and more and more and more. Okay. All right. But okay. That's what you're going to need to to eliminate that stumble in it because you just it's, it's retarding the timing at the exact time that you need to advance the timing. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. Thank you. Okay, Lance. Where are you calling from? Kansas City. Oh, okay. Good deal. Good deal. Well, good luck right. with that, man. All right. Thank you. All right, Lance. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm, bye. All right. Two nine one sixty nine zero one is the number. And if you want to be part of the Automotive Iron, if you're in Baton Rouge, you can just dial that number straight. If you're anywhere inside the United States, two two five in front of it is the area code here in Baton Rouge. We always love hearing from you. That's right. Well, whether you're from Kissimmee, Florida, or Kansas City, Missouri. That's it. Or Kansas City, Kansas. <laughs> <laughs> there are two of them. You know, we, like we were talking about just before our phone call there, I wanted to get into some of the things about transmission service that people may or may not know, or transmissions in general. And, of course, like always, we'll take a call on any topic you might have. We're never limited to that uh, particular topic. But That's right. You know, it's hard to to throw out a rule for automatic transmissions because mm-hmm. there's so many variations there are you try to generalize it best as possible but every car manufacturer is can have different set of rules mm-hmm. and you know we just trying to to say one thing you know it may be completely opposite for the next vehicle well and you know you could say you should always check the transmission fluid with the engine running in park that's right and that covers a lot of cars but suppose you got a honda that's right honda's engine off and that's that's pretty much the only one that i know of mm-hmm. uh not not counting any german vehicles because right. we really just don't see those but yeah that's 
that's one of the examples. You know, you, mm-hmm. you, you say even if uh, a question comes up as, you know, what could cause it to slip? Mm-hmm. You know, it may be electronic for one vehicle, mechanical for the next. That's right. I mean, there's no way to just give an across-the-board answer. Or if you go back a little ways, it could even be a throttle cable. That's right. Throttle Mechanical. cable and, uh, like the previous caller, vacuum. Yeah, vacuum port, something hooked up wrong. And particularly when you start working with older cars where they had different options. And, of course, most of the people who really understood all that are kind of either gone or retired. And so when you order a part, they may not even be aware that it was two different types of car brands they just say okay yeah 1958 chevy bel air 283 here's the one that's right and, and like uh getting into the transmission end uh putting a vacuum modulator on well the they were all calibrated differently for the engines and you know different rear end ratios right whatever the the modulator Tire be size. calibrated for that vehicle mm-hmm. so you can't just it's not look a matter a, of going, look, yeah, going to a parts store and buying a modulator, right, looking it up on. a picture and getting it. You have to know the. They were usually color coded with stripes, right? What uh, the spring size was in it, how big the port was on it. That's right, uh, and on a how large, how large diameter of the uh, vacuum uh, part, all those things, and every one of those is going to affect the way that transmission shifts. That's right. Let's see, we can catch another phone call here. We've got James online. Good morning, James. Good morning. How you guys doing? Doing great, sir. Okay, I'm trying to help my father out. He has a, I think it's a 2005 Taurus, a Ford Taurus, mm-hmm. Taurus and he having motor problems. Is it best for him to get a new motor put in there or get that one? What kind of problem does he have, James? It was a bad oil leak, mm-hmm. and he took it to a shop, and they told him it was too much to get fixed. And he was trying to buy another car. I said, well, hold up. Wait a minute. Yeah. You might can that one fix. James, I think I would maybe get a second opinion on that before I made a decision. You know, some shops are very reluctant to get into oil leaks. And the reason being, on an older car like that, you figure it's 12 years old, it may have multiple oil leaks on it. However, the vast majority of oil may be coming from one or two. I know we see this at the shop where I'll look at the car and it's got maybe five oil leaks, and to fix every one of them, I'd have to take the engine out take it completely apart, which would be a lot of money. However, 80 or 90% of the oil is coming from two leaks that are relatively easy to fix. Now, what the shop is thinking, hey, if I fix these two leaks and it's still leaking, the guy's going to be all over me about it, or da-da-da-da-da, whatever thought process goes through their mind. But if you can get it to the right person who can explain all these things to you, the way I normally would handle a problem like your dad's, is I'd say, Mr. Jones, we found six different leaks here. I can fix these two, which represent 85% of your problem, for $1,200. Now, to get the other three, which is only maybe 20% of your problem, we're going to jump to $3,000. So it makes sense. Let's fix the two bad ones. You drive it, see if it's leaking so bad you can't live with it or if it's just a little leak because not every leak needs to be fixed. You see what I'm saying? Okay. If, you, if you got somebody who can prioritize it for you, and I'm assuming that you're not trying to make the car like new. You're just trying to make the car usable where you can drive it and you're not having any trouble out of it. And right, so, sometimes that last little bit costs an inordinate amount of money. 
and shops are reluctant to get involved in that because if they do, and then the customers, well, it's still leaking, da, 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 you know, they don't want to get put up with all that. So what they'll tell you is, well, you just get rid of the car, get a new motor or whatever. But in reality, there are very, very, very few oil leaks that can't be fixed. I mean, the majority of oil leaks are going to be a valve cover gasket or maybe a rear main seal, maybe a front seal or timing cover seal, oil pan. That's the majority of leaks. Now, if you got something like a head gasket leaking, well, that jumps into a whole nother genre. But those leaks are generally the minority of all leaks, and they're generally smaller leaks. Okay. I mean, he could have like an all-pressure cinder unit doing most of the leaking, which is easy-peasy. I mean, that's less than 100 bucks to fix. That might be 80% of his leakage. Now, he okay. may also have a rear main seal leaking a little bit, which the transmission has to come out, so that's a big dollar thing, but maybe a small part of the leakage. So I think I would try to find somebody who is willing to work with you a little better. It sounds to me like they're just kind of shotgunning the approach to it, and maybe not. I mean, but it will pay you to spend a couple of dollars to get a professional opinion, and that way you would know whether it's worth pursuing or whether it would be better just to go ahead and trade or go for another motor or something. Okay, is it a certain shop that you would recommend me to Where are you calling from, James? Baton Rouge, right here in Baton Rouge. Well, I mean, you could bring it to us, obviously. I'm going to recommend myself, but, I mean, there's lots of good shops in Baton Rouge. If you go to my website, it'll tell you all about us, and then if you go on the first page, it says how to select a good shop. If you read that article, it'll tell you how to find a good shop wherever you are, and that's agcoauto.com, A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com, agcoauto.com. Okay, all All right. right, now. I have another question. Well, I tell you, if you hold on through the break, I got to take a quick little break, but I'll get right back with you. Okay, thanks. Okay, hang on. All right, we're going to take a quick little break, and we'll be right back with a whole lot more. Hey, Jim. Becky said you were in the office, and whoa, what is up with all the charts and graphs, buddy? Oh, I'm using my system I've developed to keep up with the maintenance on my three cars. Is that an armillary sphere? Yes, yes it is. So, the oil gets changed every third full moon. Brake pads divide the years Becky and I have been married by our oldest son's age. Timing belt is leap year, except when it's on the time... You know there's a better way, right? I just take my cars into Agco once a year for a general inspection. They give me an honest opinion on the maintenance and repairs I need. Sometimes it's just an oil change and they send me on my way. One time, they caught something that could have led to a huge repair. Saved me thousands. Wow, that sounds great. You know, I'm always trying to save money any way I can. Uh, Let me get Agco's number online and uh, give them a call. Is that dial-up? Dude, there's a better way to save money. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco. It's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldezan, and today we've got Mr. Josh Wilson, the automatic transmission guru from Agco in the studio with us. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? It's 291-6901, and I see we dropped James. James, if you call right back, I'll put you straight up to the top of the list. And we were talking just a little bit, started to get into transmission stuff and how there's not a whole lot you could say that won't vary just a bit from one to one but i mean in general we can make some statements and one thing i think that is almost a universal statement is that every transmission can benefit from a proper service absolutely whatever a proper service is for that transmission absolutely replacing the fluid in the filter has always been a good staple you want to do a proper service and you know we've been into the flush flushes versus 
flushes versus proper service. Right. And, you know, you want to make sure you get a good quality filter. You want to make sure you get the proper fluid at the proper level. That is a real big thing on some of these late model cars is overfilling a little bit too much will cause a lot of problems. Mm -hmm. Used to be in some of the older cars that they... It didn't really matter a whole lot. It didn't matter. And some of them, when they were full, they weren't really full. They could hold another one to one and a half quarts. Mm -hmm. Or if you put a little bit too much in some of these newer cars, they will aerate the fluid and overheat the trans and burn it up Mm -hmm. pretty extremely. So the proper service, somebody who knows what they're looking at and and doing everything down to the T will really help it out. That's right. It's not Um, ever going to – a proper service can never hurt the car. And that's may right. buy you some time. It can't reverse damage that's occurred already. Of course, it can't prevent an electrical failure or a part breaking. Correct. But yeah. lubrication-related problems, it can definitely help. Lubrication, which is one of the key things that we see a lot of, is wear on the valve bodies. Mm-hmm. So if you're keeping a good, clean fluid, that's going to help prevent the wear on these valves that are being worked so much to get these transmissions to do what they're doing nowadays. Right. Well, at one time, you had just like a metal valve with a spring on it, and fluid pressure would push it open or push it closed, and that was pretty much it. But right. now they've got a pulse modulated electronic valve constantly moving back and forth. Right, aluminum valve and an aluminum valve body. Mm-hmm. So, and that board just wears out real easy. And there's not really a whole lot you can do other than just keeping good fluid in it. Clean fluid. Clean fluid. Also, with the the friction modifiers that get replenished with your new fluid. You can remember years ago that Ford had a tremendous problem with torque converter shutters. Oh, yeah. Town cars and the Crown Vicks, they they would come in just shaking the whole car. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, Ford's done it again. We're starting to see that yeah, again. Yeah, those six-speeds six ha- have that same exact problem and seeing that very, very commonly. Let's catch a couple of our phone calls. We've got Harvey online. Good morning, Harvey. Good morning. Yes, sir. Yeah, I bought a 2011 Terrain. Okay. And I was looking uh, for the dipstick for the transmission, mm-hmm. and, and it didn't come with one. Right. So I took, I took it back to the dealer. They say they don't sell them. So I was wondering, where do you think I can find one at? Well, it's not built with a dipstick. No. Right. Their rule of thumb is if it's not leaking, it's not low. That's, okay. That's what they say. So um, just leave it alone. But That's right. That's kind of asinine in my way of thinking, but you cannot add a dipstick to it. Instead, there's a procedure which is fairly involved for checking the fluid. Right. It's got to okay. be – your vehicle has to be level. It's a There's a fill plug. You take the plug out, and the oil will have to be at the bottom of that hole. Oh, okay. But it's got to be at a certain temperature, and it's got to okay. be level. Okay. Which means you got to have one, a lift of some sort yeah. that will pick it up perfectly level to do it. The plug oh, okay. on that one is not real easy to get to. It's going to be right near the where the axle goes in for the, on the driver's side. Okay. So if you follow the CV axle up to the transmission, you'll see a real small plug, and that's the fill mark. Okay. Yeah. It, if it's at full operating temperature and perfectly level, you take that out, and the fluid will just barely wet the bottom of those threads. If it runs out, it's too full, and if it, it doesn't come out at all, then it's, it's too low. Okay. All righty. Thank you. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive hour, we'd love to have you. And we got John line. Good morning, John. Morning, guys. Yes, got sir. Good morning. Got a transmission question. I got a 15 Tundra. Okay. Uh, it was a 4.6 uh, automatic. Got about 44,000 miles on it. And it's regarding it coming in and out of overdrive or, or passing gear. And the difference seems to be when I have the cruise on it, when I have the cruise on 
it seems to drop in and out of, of overdrive. Say I'm going down the interstate, you know, 75, 80 miles an hour, and I go over overpass, it kicks back down, you know, and then then it doesn't drop back into overdrive for a little bit longer, as opposed to me driving with just my foot and not being on cruise. Right. Chris- uh, when, it's, when I don't have it on cruise, it may sound like the engine's lugging a little bit, but it never downshifts. To, you know, up or down is that a normality or is that an issue a lot of cruise controls are are just too sen- overly sensitive they try to maintain that that perfect speed and they will kick in and out of overdrive just too much and it's really bad if you're towing something one thing you can check for is to see if there are any flash updates for the computer if toyota notices too much of a problem on that they'll release a calibration update where it will change the way the computer controls the shifting. Mm-hmm. The very first thing to do on pr- pretty much all of the late model ones, if it's just a shift feel concern, you know, if it's too busy or has a sloppy feel to it, go in and look for TCM or PCM updates. Almost all cars have them. You just have to have somebody with the equipment that can reflash it. Yeah, and almost any quality shop, you don't have to go back to a dealership for that. I know like an Agco, we do all the Toyota updates now, and, and most yeah. shops that are well-equipped will be able to do that for you. But That's right, and we were kind of hitting on that earlier. Toyota's made that really, really friendly to, to be able to go in and do. Some manufacturers have so many steps to get into the computer, get the calibration, and, and get it updated. How they that program was engineered as to whether it's going to be an easy update or a real difficult time-consuming update toyota is generally fairly easy toyota is real straightforward Mm -hmm. real easy hook the computer up and almost let it do what it yeah do everything on Mm -hmm. its own but that would be really the only thing you could do is not gonna be anything as far as an adjustment or anything from the outside that you'd be able to fool with for that computer has complete control over that right and john i hope you got a complete answer i had to put you on hold i had so much background noise i couldn't hear anymore but if not you can call us back or send us an email and let's see, oh, we dropped our other caller there. Maybe he'll call right back, and we'll get you right at the top of the list. I see we are just about ready for our next little break, so we'll go ahead and take that real quick and be right back with a whole lot more. So, Tina, are you interested in shopping next weekend? Oh, well, me and Harold leave for our European cruise on Friday. Another cruise? What? Are you all blowing the kids' inheritance? (laughs) No, we're just smart with our money. Like, our cars are paid off, and we're big on preventative maintenance. Harold takes them in once a year to Agco for a general inspection. They check everything out and perform maintenance on what we need to keep the cars running right. You'd be surprised on how fast you can save for a cruise without two car notes. (laughs) Wow, I never thought of that. I have time to do a little shopping this afternoon, though. I've got to get Harold a bathing suit. He keeps saying he wants one of those tiny Speedo suits because that's what everybody wears in Europe, and I cannot let that happen. Okay, now I have an image of Harold strutting around the pool in a Speedo. I think I'm going to book a general inspection from Agco to clear my mind. He wanted hot pink, too. (laughs) Tina, stop. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you just join us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Josh Wilson. Hey, between two of us, we'll answer any automotive questions you might have. And we were talking to John just for a break. John, you still there? Hello, it's John Reed. Hey, John, what's going on, buddy? Good, thanks. I had a question regarding transmission fluid changes. I saw a an article where they said that there are transmission fluid changes that don't actually flush. They just put it in. Josh, would you recommend doing that or no? As far as 
Yeah, don't want to flush. We we definitely Lewis has many many real good article on why we should or should not flush. I'm basically never flush. Simple I, fluid I, replacement I is what the, you want to do. And I always do that, but mm-hmm. I, and I what, saw that. And a lot of a lot of these places seem to want to use some type of equipment to speed things up. And I saw something where General Motors said that they didn't recommend the flushing, but right. they had a, a piece of equipment that could actually just put the fluid in without having the, I guess, individual cans or whatever they do, you know. Right. And what kind of vehicle are you? Well, it's a Civic, but I'm, but my daughter has a, a Katie, and at the Civic, I, I think I wouldn't, they probably wouldn't use equipment, but I don't know for sure. No, yeah, the Civic, that has the, is going to take the Honda fluid, uh, very, very strict on that. And that is a very easy service. I mean, you just drain it and yeah, fill it. Yeah, I've beside them. I've had it done a couple of times. I, you, if you folks have helped me on that one for sure. But I just saw this other one, and I thought, because if you phone places and ask them, to, oh, well, we use this machine, I said, well, then I don't want it. So it cuts out who, right. who you there have should, to do it. There should you know? be no machine for that. Uh, I mean, that, that okay. one, The uh, you said it's an Acadia? <laughs> yeah, it's a GM Acadia. Yeah, that one also That's, is just a drain and fill. That's a, be just in, like in, your Honda. Yeah. In case you pull the... Pull a little drain plug out the bottom, and that should have a cap and a dipstick for you to put the fluid back in on top. Now, one thing, one characteristic of that fluid is it just it tends to get real, real dark. We used to look at the fluid and say, yeah, it's still red and clean, it, it's good. Uh, that Dexron Six is what that fluid would is what that vehicle would take, and that fluid as it ages just tends to get really, really dark. It's so, pretty dark initially. It's almost a purple. Yeah, if it comes out, what you don't want to do is go have somebody service it and say, hey, this fluid's burnt because it's so dark and you have a problem. Color is not really going to indicate be a good indicator for that transmission. There you go. Hey, John, I hope that was a complete answer for you. I appreciate you calling. We just had a bunch, bunch of background noise there. Couldn't hardly hear. Uh, going back to our phone lines, we've got Lee online. Good morning, Lee. Morning, gentlemen. Yes, sir. Good morning. I, I have a pretty simple, basic question, and uh, I probably could just look this up, but I don't have access to my owner's manual now. Sure. I have a 09 Toyota Camry, mm-hmm. and for just my routine oil change, should I use conventional motor oil or a, a synthetic blend or, or full synthetic? What, what do you recommend? Almost all of those require synthetic oil now, Lee. Again, there's a couple of exceptions like everything you say, but most of your newer Toyotas are going to call for zero W20 fully synthetic. Fully and, synthetic. And that is not a recommendation. That is a requirement. Okay. That engine has a very involved variable cam timing, timing chain setup, and it mm-hmm. requires that synthetic oil to protect that. Basically, if it's got a cartridge-type filter and there's not a screw-on filter like they used to have, but the one you take the little thing off has a cartridge in it, it probably requires synthetic oil. Because when they went to the cartridge filters, they also went to the fully synthetic requirement. So I should use fully synthetic. Yeah, and again, you can check on the cap of the all filler. It will say that. If it says 0W20 as a recommended all, that will be a fully synthetic all. Okay. If it says 5W30, then that's a conventional type all. But hardly any of the newer Toyotas take conventional all anymore. Okay, so it and, and again, I don't my my owner's manual on me mm-hmm. just right off the top of your head. Do you know they recommend every three four thousand or is it five thousand? Lee, you got to watch that because anybody who makes a recommendation to you based on miles and not the way you drive is not looking out for your best interest. The frequency of all changes is not based on mileage; it's based on the way you drive the car. Okay, what happens most people 
drive short trips like they go to the grocery store it's three or four miles they come home they go to work it's maybe five or six miles they come home they go to church the beauty shop whatever yeah the the point is if you're making a lot of short trips in other words Mm. 10 miles or less every time you start the car yeah that is considered severe service now under severe service you need three thousand mile oil changes Okay. Now, let's just say you live in Baton Rouge, but you work in New Orleans. You get yeah. in your car, you go 75 miles before you turn it off. Well, you can go longer under those conditions because okay. once that all heats up, it balls the moisture out, the PC system sucks it out, it cleans itself. Under those conditions, you go longer. But what's happening now is that they're just telling everybody, oh, you can go longer, you can go longer, you don't have to change at 3,000, which is total bunk okay. because most people do not fall under what they call normal conditions i consider right. ideal conditions most people right. fall into what they call severe conditions Under severe conditions mm-hmm. yeah i mean idling for more than four minutes which if you go through that red light at corsi boulevard guess what you're idling for more than four minutes right you're operating above 90 degrees fahrenheit well in south louisiana that's six months out the year i mean we right. are all under severe conditions so we have to change more often you'll never ever ever change enough uh, save enough money on all change to pay for even one repair yeah. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't make sense. So we, we should stick by the old rule of thumb every 3,000 miles. Yeah, if that's the yeah. way you drive, you know, right. that's how I drive my car. I have two cars, and yeah. my truck, it goes to work and back five miles, and that's as far as it ever goes, and it's yeah. always short trips, 3,000 yeah. miles. Now, my car, I go back and forth to New Orleans four times every weekend. You know, I'll yeah. put four or 500 miles in a weekend on it. Well, right. I could push it out further, but I usually still change it at three just because, to me, it's just cheap insurance. I see. I see. Okay. All right. Appreciate that. All right, man. All right. Okay. Thanks, Lee. Thank Bye-bye. You. Bye. All right. 291-6901 if you want to be part of the automotive hour. We were talking. It came up about the dipsticks and no dipsticks. And that can really be a little more than just an inconvenience to the average driver. It is. Like we were saying, the rule of thumb is if it's not leaking, it's not low. But that doesn't tell you if there's if it's leaking into the radiator right there can be a a crack in the cooling system and you can leak antifreeze coolant into the transmission or it could go into the the transmission fluid could go into the radiator system that's right or worse the radiator fluid can go into the transmission right either one's going to cause you a problem either one you could have checked with the dipstick and that's been eliminated so you're not able to check that anymore Mm -hmm. and even a pressure leak for instance, a leak that only leaks under pressure and only leaks when you're going down the road, the air under the car may just be blowing it away and you don't really see it. It may not leak when the car is stopped because you have pressurized leaks, which leak when the car is running, and you have, I'm going to call them gravity leaks for lack of a better term, right. which leaks when the car is sitting still. Right. That Those be, are the ones you see. Right. Something more like a pan gasket or you know, just a rear tail housing seal some or something. Maybe. Seal, right that would leak while it's sitting there some leaks would be a higher up seal that after you shut it off and the the fluid level rises then it would reach the point where it could leak out of that seal Mm -hmm. as you're driving down the road or the engine's running the level is down and it's not ever going to leak out of there right or something like maybe a cooler line leak if it happens to be on a higher part of the cooler line it may not leak at all unless the car is running that's right. And with some leaks, it may not leak when the car is cold. It may only leak when once it warms once up. Once it warms up. So it's, you may not ever see a drip in your driveway. That's right. That's right. And that's what we're getting it to a good shop and who can tell whether the leak is occurring, where it's occurring, and 
has the ability to check the fluid level properly. Right. That is real critical as as far as having it level on the lift, and the temperature is really the critical part. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one reason why they eliminated the dipstick is because people were not checking the fluid properly. It probably causing more problems by either adding too much fluid or underfilling the unit, putting the wrong fluid in them, and they just figured, hey, we just leave this off, it will eliminate all those problems. But there are still instances where that dipstick could have been very, very handy to you. Right. To the people who who really maintain their cars and like to check everything over, mm-hmm. like to check their fluid levels before they go on a trip. Get I mean, the knowledge to do it properly. That, right. That really is a disservice to them. I mean, it just it hinders us to where we have to have it up in the air and maybe a special pump to get the fluid into the transmission. Right. But, I mean, it really just takes the do-it-yourself or out of it. Almost does take him out of the picture altogether. He just doesn't have the stuff to do it. Let's see if we can catch another phone call real quick. we got Dwight online. Good morning, Dwight. Hey, good morning, guys. Good yes, morning. sir. I have a, uh, a 2008 Subaru Forester, mm-hmm. and for whatever reason, sorry, I got the little one in the car. For whatever reason, the both of my key fobs have gone out. I bought some new ones and looked at my owner's manual, and there's a fairly ridiculous process that, that you have to go through to yeah, reprogram some it. some of those are. And I just I can't get it to work, I, almost to the point where I feel like Subaru's just messing with me. <laughs> it would seem <laughs> like it, but they all it. do it. Well, yeah, I, I don't. I don't service. I don't service Subaru. I just. I'm not equipped to do it. We do all of the domestics and most of the bigger Asian companies, but just not enough Subarus in my area to justify buying the scan tools and stuff to do them. So we don't service them. But you're going to have to take it to someone who has the, the Subaru scan tool, and there's probably a procedure on that scan tool that could do it a little easier than what you could do it without. But gotcha, that, gotcha. That's All right, so probably got to take it to the dealer then. Yeah, that are, there are probably some shops that do do Subaru. You know, we do Toyota, Honda, Nissan, Mazda, most of the bigger Asians. And so we buy all the scan tools and all the equipment and tooling and information for those vehicles. But to add all the others, it would just be cost prohibitive. Nothing to do with the car. It's just an economical decision for us. Yeah. Sure. Also, with both of those key fobs going out, you could have a transmitter. Yeah. Did they both the, go out at the same time, or did one go out and then the other go out? No. They, yeah. They went out separately, and they and yeah, they are. Okay. Yeah. They're they're getting old and, and mm-hmm. you know, worn. I, one of them, I know, it was the button that yeah. the rubber yeah. and the button went out, and the other one, I'm not sure. I tra- changed the batteries in both of them before I sure. went and bought the new sure. ones. So. Yeah, some of those procedures are just, I mean, they bordering on, on ludicrous. You know, they want you to stand on your head and twirl around yeah. three times on a Wednesday and within five seconds do, yeah, recite the alphabet backwards. And yeah, they, they, don't, they, don't, they don't really make it easy. And the only other way around that would be with a Subaru scan tool. You could probably go in and do it a lot easier, but you just have to okay. have that tooling. Well, very good, guys. I appreciate your time. All right, Dwight. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. All right, we've got to take our third quick little break, and we'll be right back with more in the Automotive Hour. Hey, Mike. Heading out for your run? (laughs) I just knocked out three miles myself. Yep, did my meditation this morning to de-stress, and now I'm going to get a little exercise. Tomorrow I need to take the car into the shop, though. That shaking problem's getting worse. Uh, You know, you should take care of your car like you take care of your body, and it would save you some money. What do you mean? Preventative maintenance is key. Me and Kathy bring our cars in once a year to Agco for a general inspection. They give them the once-over and perform the maintenance needed to keep us on the road. I haven't had any kind of major problem with my cars in forever. I guarantee they would have caught the cause of your shaking issue and fixed it before it became a problem. And probably saved me money, too. Yep. All right, I'm heading home this evening for steak and lobster. 
Then Kathy and I are going to test run our new hot tub. Surf and turf and a new hot tub? Yeah, and champagne. Saving money on your car allows you to enjoy the finer things in life, Mike, my boy. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. Final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, president of Agco Automotive. Got our automatic transmission guru, Mr. Josh Wilson, here in the studio today. Any questions you might have, we still got a few minutes. Go ahead and give us a call. It's 291-6901. We're talking a little bit, Josh, about the fact that they've eliminated dipsticks on most cars. And clearly that's a disadvantage to people who want to check their fluid. But also there's other disadvantages to that. That's right. You wanted to be able to check your fluid, not only the level, but kind of the condition. Particularly if you drove down high water and you were worried about, Mm -hmm. did I get any water in my transmission? Right. You pull the dipstick and see if it had that milky look to it. Now you you can't do that. You're just wondering. You have to take it to a shop to have somebody check it. Mm -hmm. The condition, whether it's dark or dirty. If it's not shifting properly, you know, is it looking dark? Is it, is it, does it have a burnt smell to it? Metal flakes in it, maybe. You got to kind of have to specify with that, that you have to know the characteristics of that fluid. Mm -hmm. Some fluids will stay a nice red, clear looking fluid and some like that gm deck six the characteristic is for it to look really really dark some of the toyota gets real real dark uh, you just you have to know what you're looking at you have to base it on previous experience yeah, you the, just the, can't the just toyota go, ws is almost again almost a purple fluid it, after it gets some age to it it does turn very dark if you don't have anything to base that against having the years in the in the field looking at it day after day you don't know if this is good or bad well what might be a problem with one car is not a problem at all with another and that's sort of like with brake fluid you have the same thing some brake fluid will stay crystal clear almost like drinking water and be totally contaminated another one you can totally purge it out put all new fluid and it's almost immediately dark again yeah and it's still good it's perfect but it's just it just turns dark so color is not generally an indication of problems except insofar as if it's black and burned and it's bad if it if it knocks your head back when you smell it yeah burnt yeah you know you got a problem you know you got a problem other than that looking at it you've got to have some knowledge of just how what their characteristics are and that's nothing that you can do that's just years in the field of looking at it well and unfortunately we more and more do not have that opportunity because more and more transmissions today come without a dipstick or any way to check the fluid at all that's right you don't let's say you bought a new car and you checked it then you you could follow it right it's getting darker it's getting darker it doesn't look like it used to with not having the dipstick then you just yeah, you uh, have no idea and probably as bad if you buy a used car you don't know if it's been serviced or not you don't know if it's full you don't know what you just kind of blind until you take it somewhere and have it professionally checked let's see if we can catch a couple of these calls before we run out of time we got keller online good morning keller good morning how you doing doing great morning. sir i have more of an electronic question for okay sure i have a 07 chevy avalanche mm-hmm. and the dash lights the dash lights went out, but it's not actually the illuminating lights, it's the digital light. Mm-hmm. Is that something real difficult? Or normally it is. Yeah, normally it is. It's like little LED messages and stuff don't operate. Right. Yeah. <laughs> normally that's the motherboard in the instrument panel cluster. I'm, and I say normally because anything can happen, but there's no wires that attach and all in the way you think about it. It's got one big connector. It just snaps in and it locks in. And generally, if that 
comes loose, everything quits working. And so if, wow. if the gauges and stuff are working, but your LEDs aren't, normally the motherboard has failed. So it's a matter of replacing and reprogramming the motherboard. And what year model was seven, it, Keller? 07. 07. 07 Chevy Avalanche. Yeah, that one's probably going to have to be programmed. And you can't put a used one in. A used one can't be programmed to that car. So that means you're into either. There are some places you could take it out and send it off and have it rebuilt. What you have to do is go and buy an instrument cluster or have a shop buy an instrument cluster, install it, and reprogram it. So probably nothing you could do yourself. And, yeah, it can be very expensive, probably seven $800 range. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that'll affect stuff like if you're trying to get your sticker or something. It may get, if you uh, if you can't see the mileage, you know, on exactly. the car. Yeah, if you can't see the mileage, thing. it will probably fail inspection for that reason. Wow. Okay. All righty. Appreciate you telling. Me. Okay, man. Thank, thank you. you. Mm-hmm. Bye bye. All right. Two nine one sixty nine zero one is the number, and we got Mitch online. Good morning, Mitch. Good morning. What I have things like called in a good time y'all are talking about transmissions mm-hmm. i have a 2011 dodge nitro okay i have 108 almost 109,000 miles on it never had any trouble with the transmission i've been debating whether i should take it somewhere and have it serviced i would feel better doing that yet this is like a lot of the cars today i guess there's no dipstick and there's no way to monitor it mm-hmm. what do you recommend i do because i've been debating on this it's like i want to keep the vehicle as long as i can yeah. what do you recommend yeah i would have serviced that one probably around fifty thousand, which is kind of a moot point now but i would certainly have it serviced professionally serviced with someone you know you can trust to do it properly we'll definitely buy you some time on it and it can't prevent electrical failure. It can't prevent a mechanical failure, but it can knock out the lubrication failures, which are most of the failures on that car. That's okay. Right. Okay. I do mostly highway drive. And mm-hmm. I don't know if that would, uh, well, so same, same thing. That's strictly going to be miles. And at 106, I think even Chrysler in their most optimistic blue sky estimate says go a hundred thousand. So you're over yeah. even their recommendation, which is way right. over the best yeah. recommendation for the car. Yeah. And Chrysler okay. usually, has theirs fairly early on everything on the maintenance schedule they, yeah i they, mean if the first symptom you're going to get is check engine lights go pop on it's going to quit moving and somebody's going to be telling you, you owe them 4500 bucks to make it move again that's going to be oh, the symptom uh, you get that's right okay yeah they, right. you don't get the the gradual failure you know it's starting to have shift a little funny you know it's getting a little worse a little worse because the computer will adapt and, and compensate ad- adjust the pressure to yeah to compensate for any minor issues so okay. generally the first up, symptom is a total failure yeah it covers up the minor stuff and then when it finally gets to a certain point it's a it's a big failure so okay. yeah you want to do your service and have somebody look at it and somebody that can tell you hey this looks it looks good it looks cleaner than normal it looks yeah. you know, more. the other advantage is once they got the pan off they can cut the filter open and if that filter is relatively clean you know you're in pretty healthy shape if they drop right. the pan and it's full of metal, then, you okay. know, you need to start making other plans. Yeah, okay. What would this vehicle need? Basically, a filter replacement and a fluid change or yeah. what? Fluid, fluid and filter. Okay, all right. Okay, thank you very much. All righty. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. I think we just about out of time. At least we're getting pretty darn close there. Pretty darn close, yeah. <laughs> and that's one of the things, the transmission maintenance. Mm-hmm. Going by the schedule, uh, we had mentioned that the Fords were starting to see the shuttering right. come back. Well, I've looked in the maintenance schedule, and transmission service is nowhere in there. Yeah. 
not at 150 no i've not they don't even recommend it anywhere in there well again if if you got a vehicle with 100,000 miles transmission goes out you're probably gonna go buy a new vehicle right which is kind of what they want most people (laughs) will but you know some of those getting up over fifty thousand dollars you know you look at a real real pricey fix for that whereas you can do your maintenance what we would recommend you know Mm -hmm. no more than fifty thousand right get that fluid in there get that uh, filter change Mm -hmm. and prolong the life of that yep there you go real good advice hey we gotta wind it on up and get on out of here tell everybody much appreciate them listening this morning and every saturday morning on the automotive iron tell all our podcasters really appreciate you guys listening if there's a written review on the site you listen why don't you go ahead and fill it out for us and give us a good rating and way we can move on up and keep on doing the show hey preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry have a great weekend (laughs) 